Do you dream of starting a community-focused soccer club? Are you intimidated by all the legal paperwork and red tape? Well, dream no longer. Introducing the Club Startup Packet from DKCU, your all-in-one guide to forming a successful soccer club in your own community. This comprehensive packet gives you everything you need to handle the administrative side of launching a new club. Just follow our proven templates to write your business plan, incorporate your entity, gain tax-exempt status, secure field use, and much, much more. No need to reinvent the wheel on filings and policies. Our documentation distills years of experience into easy-to-customise templates. Simply plug in your local details and turn your dream into a reality. Grab your administration packet today at dkcunited.com and support independent soccer media in the process. The club startup packet will take you from soccer passion project to fully operational club. Don't just dream it, do it. John, you good? I'm good, let's roll, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. All right, folks, welcome back to Build It, the non-league soccer podcast across the US where we speak to non-league soccer people. My co-host, as ever, John Hall. I'm going to call John Hall my friend because he got very happy last time I called him my friend. I was going to call you out if you didn't this time and think we were moving backwards, so thank you. (laughs) Um, Our guest this week is a gentleman by the name of George Gorecki, which may be a name or may not be a name that people recognize, but hi, George. Hello. Uh, Delighted to be here. Oh, we're delighted to have you. George has got a varied history across the real world and across soccer. I don't think I'm stepping on your toes now, George, when I say you're a man of several summers, which is one of the reasons we brought you on. First off, before we, t- we touch on the real stuff, um, let's talk about your soccer career up to this point, if we may. How did you get involved with the Chicago soccer scene? Well, back in the early 1980s, a group of friends, we formed a club. We played recreationally for quite some time. And that's about 13 years, actually. And as, as, as time went on, we had a, an influx of younger players who kept asking, why are we playing in rec leagues? Why don't we find something in the more competitive arena? And so we found the National Soccer League in 1996. So we joined that league at that time in their second division, which was the third tier of competition there. And so in 1998, we, we moved up from the second division to the first. We earned promotion there. And that same year, our over 30 teams started playing in that league also. Many of the guys who were around from the early days in 1983 had gotten to the point where playing over 30 was more appropriate than playing open competitive. We've been in the National Soccer League um, ever since then. Now it's called National Metro Soccer League after we merged with the Metropolitan Soccer League. And our our club has, has reached, you know, a, a really great achievements by playing in that league exposed to a lot of great teams that have been teams who have had a lot of success both regionally and nationally. And it's it it just it's made us so much better than we were back in our early days. What was or is the club called? Our club is called Stade Biki FC. That's a Polish phrase which is uh, borderline derogatory. You call someone that if they're uh, kind of lazy and over the hill. 
So it was okay. it was kind of a, a reverse thing because when we formed the club back in our 20s, we weren't old. Uh, maybe we were a little lazy, but it, it, it's one of those things that you you we, we applied it kind of in reverse. And that name has stuck with us ever since. We're not we're not we, uh, we were we, we were an all Polish type of uh, club in the beginning. But since then, we've had players from every continent and we've had 41 countries represented in our colors over the years. That's pretty sweet. That's pretty sweet. What was it about the NSL that sort of marked the diff? What was the demarcation of the NSL from regular rec stuff? So the National Soccer League was founded in 1919. It's one of the oldest amateur soccer leagues in the country. And teams from the NSL have won the U.S. Open Cup four times, dozens of national, regional, state cups. I mean, uh, it was it was for us, it was the destination if we wanted to play at a high level. And now I, I have the pleasure of knowing that George is involved in the uh, league front office now for, I think, for some time, right, George, where you actually got, you went from league admin to actually then being a, a, a club admin to league admin and seeing it from kind of both sides. And how did you get roped into that glorious position? So we joined the league in 1996, uh, and it was not, we had not even been in the league for, a full season when the president of the league at that time, Gregory Blamakis, he, we were at a, a general meeting of all the clubs and the secretary was absent. And he says to me, George, can you take the minutes for the meeting? I said, okay, sure. Next thing I know, the secretary is not coming back and they need a new secretary. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. So I was secretary from 1996 to 2004 after 2004, I stepped away from the uh, administration of the league. I continued to run the league's websites, helped them do their scheduling. And then in 20, 2019, Gregory Vlamakis resigned, retired from his position as president. And uh, somebody had to fill in to, to fill that void. So I spoke with Ante Lonchar, and the, the two of us said, you know, let's do this together. So Ante was president, I became vice president, and uh, we've, we've, we've gone from there. And like classic Ante engagements, the vice president carries all the responsibility and he gets to just be the figurehead? Is that, is that how that operates? No, that's not, that's not correct at all. Ante, Ante is, is one of the most connected soccer people I've ever met. And when it comes to talking to people, by f figuring out whether a team is a good fit for our league, Ante networks better than anyone I've ever seen. And I'll, I do a lot of work to get the make the league uh, function. There's no question about that. But without him, we would be nowhere. At least we know now, if I don't get a phone call, we know Ante doesn't listen to this little podcast. At least we hate it. You are correct about that, yeah. No, that's uh, I guess that he doesn't jump. We on this podcast, we we focus on the admin side of things rather than like the formation club tactics side of things. So when you say you do a lot of there's a lot of work involved in keeping the league up and running and profiling clubs and all that malarkey. What do you mean? How how does that manifest itself on a day to day, month to month basis? We have a management platform that runs our scheduling, puts the standings up on our website, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm I'm basically responsible. For, and so when you have a league with five divisions and 49 teams lots of teams like to change their games they want to postpone they want to reschedule and so 
the thing they have to do is to to make sure that uh, that gets done and all the necessary people receive notification like referee assigners and 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 all that so that's that's basically what i do are you doing anything with the state association right now or no yes as a matter of fact i am uh claudio frigo asked me to be on the trial board so anytime that they have a red card situation that comes to light i help out in 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 that what when that arises gotcha yeah there's a that also probably gives you a look into the way other leagues handle things as well. Sometimes it kind of right. like, like when you're in the club, you're in like one thing and then you're in the league, you see like a little broader. And then when you go to a, like the state association, you see the way other leagues do it and you can actually sure. see me. I think that's, that's one, not to keep pilot on Ante, but I think that's one really cool way to see how clubs operate and how leagues operate, how they handle problems, how they handle administrative things, how they handle marketing, how they retain clubs and how they support clubs. Ultimately, that's a, that's an interesting uh, position within even just the trial board. That's probably pretty uh, time consuming. I would imagine with the number of clubs, the NSL and then, and then the national Metro soccer league, I believe since I've kind of been paying attention, it's you've grown quite a bit. I think it seemed like at least some of the divisions were kind of small and now it's like you set up to 49 teams. Is that true that there's been some growth over the last few years? And like, what do you think? There absolutely has been growth. So our competitive divisions, which are major and first division, we were able to have a large number of teams, relatively large number of teams this past season after we merged with Metro. We had a, we'd started a U23 division two years ago, two years or three years ago. And um, that has been stable. Two years ago, we started a Chicago division, which is, this is a division that is a uh, an in- independent entity where we, we we found a group of teams who were playing in various uh, rec leagues, I think mostly at the Chicago Fire Pitch, and they were dissatisfied with the amount of money they were paying, the kind of treatment they were getting from folks who were organizing it. And so we said, we can organize it for you. And so what we do is, you know, they all like to play games in one location in the city. So what we did, we went and rented a field from the Chicago Park District for 20 weeks. We set up a competitive schedule, and now they get to play uh, in a real competition. It's also a great idea to play in in a scenario like that because maybe at some point a team decides, you know what, we we want to try something more competitive. Maybe we'll try to play in the first division, try to get to the top of the top of the mountain in the major division. So that's you know that that group. That division this year had 10 teams. It's the biggest it's been, and I it, it may well grow beyond that uh, in the coming years. And then we inherited from uh, Metro when we merged with them in over 48 division. So that's nine teams, should be 10 teams. Well, I'm not too far away from that. That one was intriguing. Do you think then, obviously, growth requires retainment of these clubs and, and players having a good time? Obviously, referees have to be quality and stuff, and, and we've played... Uh, we played the under 23 last year and and, and I, we've had a good experience for several years now playing in the national league national metro soccer league how much do you think like the opportunity for clubs to have a say in the way the league operates what kind of value do you think that holds with keeping clubs and and bringing new ones in that is a very high priority for us any any meeting that we're at Ante, the one of the first things he tells the teams is this league belongs to you we're just here as elected officials to administer everything. 
but we run the league based on what the club wants. Their input is crucial and valuable, and not every league is run that way. Some leagues are run by dictators. That's not the case here. Half of our board positions are are are, elect, are, are elected every year. So yeah. Anyone yeah. who wants to have a say, they ha- they can have a say. Right. Speak up. Right. Don't just sit in the background and complain. Get involved and uh, that's right. Be part of the solution, sort of. You are correct. Yeah. yeah. You could yeah. not be more correct, actually. I'll be. I'll be. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to get too far ahead of some of these conversations. But the league stuff just fascinates me as much as the club stuff because I know how important a league partnership is for all of its clubs. Like having a, a league of the clubs is is such a like you don't even know until you've been through it. It's such a, a blessing to have league officials that listen and understand the challenges of the clubs and all these things. With the merger with the Metro, and I'm not trying to spill news, I'm just genuinely curious, like, how do you see that impacting the future of sort of the Chicago amateur soccer landscape and what you guys are trying to do there? Like, what are what are some of the big reasons that made sense? And like, how can you use that to catapult forward? So... Uh, I, I, I guess I don't want to get into the whole history of how the merger came about. These discussions started actually four years ago, and uh, it was only this past winter where both leagues concluded the best thing to do going forward is to work together. There are uh, many clubs in this combined league who have decades of history in Chicagoland amateur soccer, and these clubs should all be playing against each other, just like they were back in the day. I mean, but you go back to 1970, the only game in town was the National Soccer League. And it was only after that that other leagues cropped up, like Klasa uh, and Interamericano and, and other leagues like this. But prior to that, that was, we were the National Soccer League was the only place where you would play at a high competitive level. So what we want to do is to be the the choice destination for any team who wants to play at their highest level. And so by having all of the great teams from the NSL and Metro playing together, we hope that uh, that's uh, that kind of is a springboard for more teams to, to, to get on board, you know? Was that, I, I talked to Ante a little bit about some of the merger stuff, whatever, but, but like probably the, the, the biggest challenge is sort of the, the boards and the leadership kind of, figuring out how to compromise, right? Because everybody's mm-hmm. prideful in their history and and then that's fine. But I would imagine to your point, like the clubs, I would think would love it. It's some new competition. It's being able to test yourself. Like if you think your league's always been the best, now you get a chance to go prove it. And I would think like everything on the field, other than working out the admin stuff, would have, would have been like a just a cool thing to experience the first year. Well, I'll tell you what, we had a cool experience the very first week of the season. There were two games, one in the major division, which was Adria versus Lions, and one in the first division, which involved my club and Lith's soccer club, where two clubs that were longtime NSL clubs got to play against each other again, now that the two leagues are back together. Cool. And that was... That was a moment that was uh, cherished by everybody because it, you you got a chance to look back and say, yeah, we had something special before, and now we have something special today. I think it shows the willingness uh, to do what's best for soccer and not 
with individual motives and and holding on to things that you shouldn't hold on to and and just keep growing the game, which I, it seems to be the mission of every everybody involved with the sport says that's their mission until it's time to do something. So kudos to you guys for finding a way to work together with the Metro. You're right about that. One of the reasons it took this long for us to 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 realize this merger is people not putting their egos aside. It was only in, at, at, once, we, once we reached that point, we realized we have to work together. And honestly, the, 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 the leadership of both leagues that have been working together since February has pretty much been seamless. Every, everybody is in this for the, for the reason of, okay, let's make, let's make this a great league. Um, as opposed to, you know, what, how, how can I make sure that my teams from the legacy NSL have, you know, some kind of advantage or edge. No, we're not, uh, we're not doing that. Now that you've reached this plateau, not plateau, but like the pinnacle of where you should have been, what's next for the league and what's, what does growth look like? What does success look like over and above still being a league in 10 years time? Uh, I would say that success is based on growth and adding more quality clubs. Back, as I was telling you, in 1970, when the National Soccer League was the only game in town, there were four competitive divisions. Each division had 12 teams in it. So right now, we're at, uh, let's see, we have 12 in the major division and nine in first, so that's only 21 teams. I'd love to get to a point where new teams have to climb a ladder to get from the entry point to the next tier, to the next tier, to the top tier. And... You only do that by making sure that the teams that are coming in are of of the right quality and the right level of commitment. And how do you, uh, from an admin point of view, how do you verify that quality? You have to vet them. You know, you have to ask them where have they played before, and what is their history, and and how do they, you know, what what is it about their club that distinguishes them from just any old uh, rec team playing, uh, you know, a park somewhere? Let me flip that around then. What is it that distinguishes your team and your club from any old rec team? Our, our goal is single-minded. We want to play at the highest level that we can, regardless of of our age group. So we have in our club, we have a first team that plays in the National Metro First Division. We have an over-30 team. They play in the Premier Soccer League. And we have an over-40 team that plays in the Premier Soccer League. All of those teams are, are, are players who have played at a high level competitively, and they, despite the fact that they're older, um, they still want to play at a high level. And as far as our, our first team goes, this is just, you know, the best players that we can find who want to fit into our system. Playing in a rec league means, you know, you show up with a red t-shirt at the park, you know, and maybe, maybe a referee shows up, maybe he doesn't. You know, here the expectation is high, that we're going to have three officials at the field at every game, and we'll have three or four substitutes on our bench in every game. That's the difference between playing in a competitive environment or uh, as compared to a rec team. Yeah, no, like I wasn't trying to catch you out. I was just getting... oh no, 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 not at all. Um, it, it's just that we, if, if if somebody tried to describe our organization as as recreational, they would be they'd be falling short of what we really are. Professionally run on an amateur budget. That's what we always say, right? Go on with you. I'll give you five more minutes of league nerdiness, John. Oh, thank you, thank you. No. So, so George, we are, we are always trying to, I think I, our unofficial motto of this build it podcast is to help create or sustain a club in every community. As, as I've only been involved with this amateur soccer 
I'll call it business, chaos, whatever, for five or six or seven years. I've seen tremendous growth, obviously, with people wanting to start clubs, form clubs, or take their existing rec club and bring it to the next level, whatever that may be. What do you see in all your interactions with clubs and having your own club? What do you see as the biggest challenges sort of facing clubs that want to be more than just rec? I think it's a, it's a matter of understanding what they don't know. Because when, when we moved from our recreational era into the competitive era, we thought we knew what we were doing. And when we finally got to the National Soccer League, we, we learned a lot about, you know, we, we, don't, we didn't realize we would have to have 20 or 25 players on our roster rather than 15. You, you, and you don't know things like that until you're actually, you get your feet wet into it. So, so I think that once, and, and so that's when we, go, when we go through our vetting process, when a new club comes to us, we try to find out where they've played before and see whether they, they've managed to, to navigate these various obstacles. Just to background you for, for what I do too, I'm still on the expansion committee for the Midwest Premier League. All the things you're dealing with, and I've been in some of the NSL board meetings and stuff where you, you know, vote in new clubs and they, you know, they explain what they're all about and all the stuff and you bet them a little bit. And, and, uh, I'm sure the connector Ante is, uh, is doing all kinds of back channel discussions before those meetings to figure out who these guys are and what they're about. So when you bring a new club in and maybe they realize the things they didn't know and they struggle a bit in the first year, how do you balance a short leash with, Hey, you weren't a good fit. You got to go or chalk it up to, Hey, they didn't know we got to give them another year or two to sort of figure it out. How do you, how do you kind of balance that with clubs that are unproven? You have to, as a league, you have to observe how they do their business. And when it's obvious that they're missing knowledge or experience, you have to help them. You have to say, you have to, like, we had a team in one of our divisions this year. It was a week before their first game, and they didn't have any of their home games scheduled. And so we were trying to figure out why that was. So you had to go to them and say, look, this is what needs to happen. You know, you would think it's obvious that um, uh, a team has to make their home schedule known, not only to themselves, but you know, to, the, to their opponents. But this team didn't do that. And so we had to try to, sometimes you have to hold them by the hand a little bit until, until they get it right. And so the ones who have a real commitment to get it right, they'll say, okay, we messed this up. Now we're just going to, we're, we're going to, we're try, we'll try to get it right going forward. The ones who listen and the ones who, who accomplish that will eventually be successful. And the ones who see that the weight of that is too much and they're going to crumble, they wind up, we don't wind up having to tell them get lost. They wind up finding out, you know, we're probably better off in a wreck. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you, you talked to, you mentioned like tears. And I think that's something that I'm intrigued by without even talking about pro rel, I'm intrigued by having tears with requirements and costs commensurate to the club's ability to compete at that level on and off the field. So you can figure out later if you want to have some automatic movement, but the fact that a club can find a level within your program, Hey, I can't handle the home and away games. I just want to play a single location in Chicago. You guys have that offering for them. Uh, right. So it allows a club, maybe they start there, operate a year or two and really like it. And then they go, Hey, we could, you know, my buddy's the AD at a high school now. So let's go play at this high school and we'll go to the first division. I think that's, that's the thing that I think is important to establish as a soccer 
community. If we want clubs at a club in every community, we have to have levels for every community's club. Just so, so like a little small town outside of DeKalb should have a club too. They shouldn't be playing where DeKalb County United is, but they should ha- certainly have a team and have a group of guys that go play and represent their community. And then with the Chicago metro area, Milwaukee, and and the things that we could do in this area, uh, Nick always says that you could have you could have three thousand clubs in Chicago, right? I mean, the the opportunities are endless. Are they all going to be at the same level? No, but we don't even have necessarily that pathway for clubs to find what makes sense. And then when we do, if the Premier Soccer League does things different than the National Metro Soccer League. You have to like really struggle to go figure out what they do differently to figure out which one may be right for you. And I think that's where the connectivity between now at least the Metro and National are together. It's one less sort of option, right? Like we don't have to do it all the same, but let's offer things. Actually, it's better to offer things differently to find a place for your club to be successful and not disappear. We've had most of our good rivals have disappeared in our short history because, you know, business model or whatever. And we'd rather they didn't disappear. Just go play somewhere else until you're ready to come back. And maybe someday that's us. Right? So I think that's really a really cool thing that your programming offers different things to help people. And your I ramble sometimes, George, sorry. Sometimes finding the balance between being a good league partner to helping that club succeed is more important than saying, we're not going to help them. They haven't played enough. Go play somewhere else because that's what they'll do. And then you're kind of losing your your opportunity to help grow them in the right way. I think if, if, if there's the potential to, to take a club from a recreational level to a competitive level, you have to try to find that path. If they can't find it themselves, you got to give them a map. That's a good way to say uh, Thank you, George. I'm going to write that down. That was five minutes of your time. Just spoke, just taking up with you talking. So yeah, way to use the knowledge of our guests, John. The other reason we got you on, George, is the walking football, the walking soccer thing. I, I'm assuming most people who are listening to this haven't got a clue about walking football, walking soccer. So could you give us the beginners 101 elevator pitch on walking soccer, and then we'll dig into it. Okay, so I'll I'll start by talking about how our club found out about walking football. We have a we have a player, a teammate of mine named Brian Wager. He played with the club between 1999 and 2005. He happened to be here uh, like on a, a temporary basis because his wife was working for BP, and uh, he happened to find us. So to make a long story short, he comes and visits us in 2018 as talking about how he's now playing walking football. He had a serious knee injury at age 50, and he started playing and and so when he's describing walking football to me I'm, I'm thinking what is he talking what is this i mean is this a real thing or is this a joke or and then as the more he talked about it the as the the gear started grinding in my head i thought to myself this is exactly what my club needs you know we'd been around at that point 35 years and many players have, were no longer playing you know our oldest age division was over 48 and some of our guys were already in their late fifties by this point. And they're, you know, at, at, at a particular point for whatever reason, you know, their, your body breaks down, your, you know, you just don't have the same fitness or whatever. You stop playing. And I thought to myself, what a great way to get guys off the couch. 
it was what a great way for guys to rekindle friendships that they had with their teammates, guys they don't see anymore, right? And so I said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna move on this. So in November of 2018, we had a 35th anniversary celebration for our club. And there were a lot of alumni who were there. And I, I, would, I walked up to every single one of them and I said, look, we're going to try this walking soccer thing. And I want you to make sure that you, 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 you uh, schedule, uh, make your calendar available for some, a few dates when we want to try some trial games. And so we did that in the early part of 2019. And we got, we got a lot of players back on the field. So going back to your original question, what is walking soccer all about? It's for, it's for players who don't, who can't play anymore, right? Who can't play regular speed football anymore for whatever reason. Like for, I'll take, I use myself as a, an example. I have arthritis in my left knee and my right hip. And for me, running, running doesn't really happen very well anymore. I'm, I, I scurry more than I run at this point. And so the, the, I was playing over 48 as late as 2019 in my club. And I told the, the coach of the, of the team, I said, look, if, if, if you need me as a sub for 10 or 15 minutes in a game, I can do that. But my mobility at this point is, uh, has reached a level where I can't help. And so without walking football, I've stopped, I don't, I don't play anymore. Right. And so there are a lot of people who are in not just my age group, but they have particular physical limitations where regular soccer isn't, isn't an option anymore. But walking soccer is. Walking soccer is the same as regular soccer, except it's played at a different pace. The basic rule is you can't run. You have to walk. That means one foot on the ground at all times. Uh, there's no slide tackling. There's no head balls. The tactical part of playing walking soccer is the same as it is with regular speed soccer. The pace is just different. You think about when you watch hockey being played, most of the passes are stick to stick. And in walking soccer, most of the passes are foot to foot. You don't send a guy 25 yards with a, with a long ball down the field because it'll take him a half hour to catch up to it, right? The only way to maintain possession is to make sure that you have the ball in tight spaces, right? It's funny. Some of our guys who play walking soccer are still playing regular speed soccer, and they're saying that the walking soccer helps them with regard to keeping the ball under control in tight spaces. We've gotten a lot of guys to come off the couch. We've got a lot of guys to rekindle friendships from what they had before, and it's been... It's been great. What we have to do now is is try to make more people understand what walking soccer is, because I think the better they understand it, the more likely they are to join us. Yeah, I do agree. It's like if it's a burgeoning thing in the UK. I knew about it when I was over there. I was I never knew it existed over here until I came across your profile the other week. How big stroke not big is it in this country at this moment? Would you say it's not big at all? As I said, in Seattle, I have 135 people playing. I know there's a group in Los Angeles that recently started up. Uh, they play a pickup game every Friday morning. Uh, there's a new group in Toronto that started up in the spring. They're playing a regular pickup game on Saturday mornings. It's just, it needs, it, 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 it needs exposure. And most of, it need more than exposure, though, I think it needs uh, and there has to be a process to make people understand what it really is. For sure, for sure. And it sounds like it needs something to corral around as well. Like with the almost, almost, yeah, like it's developing in its way in Seattle, and it's developing in its way in Toronto, and it's developing in its way in Chicago. But they're not necessarily on the same path. 
This is like, oh, the, right. no, yeah. the, 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 the idea is, we, you know, I mean, the, the folks out in Seattle are, have been fantastic in providing us ideas with how to, how to grow you know, more players. And so we, we tried a few things which have been successful, but at the end of the day, what we have to do is just reach out to more and more of these clubs. As I said before, in our league, we have clubs that are decades old. And, and so they've got a lot of players who I'm sure there are guys who come to their games to watch because they can't play anymore, but they can play. I was told back when I was a teenager by one of my coaches trying to instill how tough soccer players are. He said to me, if you can walk, you can play. Well, today, for me, that's exactly what it is. I, I can walk and I can play. And that's the only way I can play. And that's the way I want to play. And I want more guys to understand that same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then within the, the NSL right now, Obviously, you're not the only club with age strata, but are, are any of your the other rival clubs pursuing the walking football thing, or is the walking football thing just an all-club in one place thing right now? Well, the walking football thing is something that we're, we're, we're going to be coming to those clubs and explaining to them what we're all about and, you know, do they have players who don't play anymore in, in, in regular regular speed soccer and if, if, if they have guys who have dropped out because of that, they have guys who, who, like me, are far older than the oldest age group that's out there playing regular speed football, then they, they are candidates to play walking soccer. There's no doubt about it. So as, we have to find a way to reach them. As my, as my friend Nick says, if you're a man or woman of many summers, walking soccer is for you. Okay. For sure. Okay. Yeah. It, that's you, an interesting point, John. Is it unisex? Like, is, or is it gendered? Uh, we have been almost exclusively male players. Now, there have been a couple of women now and again who have joined us. And so one of the things I'd like to do, list is to contact the uh, Illinois Women's Soccer League because I know that they don't have competition beyond over 30. And so some of the some of the older women who were playing are way past 30. And so it's, it, it's not as much fun for them, obviously. And so we want to reach out to them as well. Uh, walking soccer could easily be played as a co-ed thing because the when it comes to uh, you know the differences, the 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 physical advantages that men have over women in regular competition, they're pretty much equalized in walking soccer, for sure. How physical is it? I don't mean like heart rate wise, but just in terms of contact and. Well, you know, it's hard for me to judge that. We've only played pickup games amongst ourselves, so it's all friends playing against each other. If we were to play in like in a real competitive game. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how physical it, w- it would get. I mean, there there are a lot of restrictions to to make sure that the game has a high safety factor built into it, because it does take into account that, you know, you do have older guys playing. You know, I, I I've seen some 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 YouTube videos of walking football in the UK being played like on a wood floor, and you know, older older gentlemen being bumped around hockey style and you wonder oh my god is that guy going to wind up in an emergency room with a broken hip or something so so the game is kind of engineered to try to minimize injury i mean the only injuries we've seen basically are guys who have come up with strains and sprains because they went from the couch to playing again after being inactive for so long but serious injuries they don't really occur they're there i mean the game is set up so it almost will certainly uh, prevent that is that obviously at the rec level it is, but like in the, in the whatever the higher level highest levels are, is it self officiated or are the umpires and referees and there are referees? Yes. No. Okay. Oh yeah. Cool. 
Yeah, in, in, in the competitive structure, yes, there are referees. Go on, Joe. As a, and as a matter of fact, the uh, the uh, the English FA has a, uh, you know, a laws of the game document for walking football. That's interesting. What we adhere to when we play. Have you done mostly outdoor? Yes, it's almost it's been almost exclusively outdoors, and part of the reason for that is it's difficult to find indoor space. You know, we play. We tried to play. So, I, I, let me backtrack a little bit. Our our um, our current pickup game is an actual sports program at the Oak Brook Park District. One of our guys lives in Oak Brook, and he went to them and said, "Look, you need to make this a program in the park district." And and so what? That's what they've done. And so they've been very generous with the way they provided space for us. Our players go to their website every week. They click on a game, sign up, pay a $5 game fee, and they go and play. And so it's great to be able to, to, to have that really easy, easy setup. It's not like you don't have to go around hunting for fields and, 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 and renting them and whatnot. So it, indoors, that's a little bit tougher because most indoor places are, are highly booked up during the winter, especially with kids' teams. And and one of the things about walking soccer that's a, a crucial aspect is the social aspect. And so, you know, we go out and we play every week from 7 to 8. And by 8.15, we're in the bar drinking beer, exchanging stories and stuff. So, you know, if you have to rent an indoor field, say, at 10.30 at night, that eliminates that part of walking soccer. And it's it's such an important part that we might or might not play if we had to play that late. So we, we're out there from March through December, and as soon as the weather looks even halfway decent in February, we'll go out and play in February. We don't have much downtime, right? really. Yeah, I, I, the only reason I was, I was wondering about indoor-outdoor, just numbers and winter boredom in the Midwest. And I just, I've been thinking about like almost walking futsal as a pivot where you only need 10 people sort of, mm-hmm. right. a couple of goals, and you could do it on a gym floor, find it controlled, and then go down the street to the bar. It, it, it'd be a way, instead of having to have 22 or 25 or 30 people, that like a, a community like us could do something like that where we mm-hmm. find a teacher at a high school or a middle school or whatever that help us get some gym space once a week to do something. And, and even if there is a fee to it, I think you could round up 10 a lot easier than 30, especially when no one knows what it is yet. And and maybe that's it. Like you got to go watch it and see it or go play it once. And then you're hooked. Right. You're very passionate about it because you've been doing it. And I think it, I mean, it, it's intriguing. I just got to find like 12 buddies to go do it. Well, you know, it's funny you say uh, that, my 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 buddy Brian, but he was describing how things work with his club in uh, in the UK. He said that basically, when a player comes to play walking football for the first time, three things happen. He says his first reaction is it's harder than I thought it was. The second is it's more fun than I thought it would be, and the third is what time do we play next week? And our guys have had pretty much that same experience. They, they they really don't realize that when you're walking for one hour, you're not. It's not like taking your dog for a walk for an hour. You're really walking. You're really working. <clears throat> a typical, uh, a, t- a typical walking soccer game for an hour, you'll do six seven thousand steps easy. 
how do you how do you go hey we're gonna start if you've been doing it outdoor anyway with a group of 20 to 25 i assume or, or no I, actually so walking a, a proper game of walking soccer is seven v seven with goalkeepers excuse me on a field that's 60 yards by 40 and, that, and that's how we set up our our pickup games we usually don't play with goalies we play with small goals and just uh play you know you know, based on the number of guys we have. Yeah, I was just trying to figure out how you could take the historical clubs in the Chicago area and do some sort of a single location indoor league where, I don't know, maybe you've already tried all that, but it, that seems like it'd be a great way to just, hey, we just need four teams. And like you said, indoor space can be tough, but maybe you don't need fancy indoor soccer space. You just need the gymnasium which is also hard to get because it's the Midwest. Yeah, so right now we're focused on playing pickup games because we want participants. Would it become a competitive thing? Very well could. It's, it's become a competitive thing in many places in Europe. But right now, the level of awareness is so low, that's really the first, the first thing we have to attack is getting people to understand this is, this is just like when indoor soccer became a thing in the 80s. You got to get people to understand, here's what this is, right? And so this is brand new to almost everybody. And, and so it's our job to make sure that we are as, as good as we can be to educate people on how walking soccer works and why you should get off the couch and play with us. All right, let me ask you this. I get that it sounds great when you're playing it. How is it to watch it? To watch it. Do you think there's a spectator part of this that's interesting to watch or is it probably too slow that you know that's a really good question i guess you know maybe the, you know you can make the same comparison you know do you want to watch a pro game or an amateur game of 11 v 11 sure. right i mean some people won't watch an amateur game because it's you know because the skill level is not the same or the speed of the game is not the same so you know i've never watched but still in walking soccer that i've watched is recordings of our games and because i'm I'm obviously involved. I'm interested, but you know, what would I turn on the TV to watch walking soccer? I probably would because, because you know, I'm involved in it, but would the average soccer fan turn it on? He might turn it on for five minutes and say, what is this? Right? Like I say, it's a matter of education, you know, and if yeah, somebody knew what walking soccer was, they might be more inclined to watch it. So that, so the reason I ask is because I've been trying to figure out how we can expose people to it. And I, and my first thought, which Nick kind of brought up was, what if you brought a bunch of people or didn't just you came out to a DKCU game next summer and we do a 10 minute game at halftime and we'll get the people like Nick and me and like our staff could do it and all kinds of stuff and we could play it. It's not necessarily halftime show, right? But it's like exposure to it where maybe somebody in the stands goes, Oh, I could go do that. Where all of a sudden it starts to drum up interest, and I know I'm not saying DeKalb is your target market, but is it is it something where where you as the martyr for this this great charge, like, hey, look, get 12 people and let's go set up a little mini pitch at halftime of your of your game at the fire pitch or whatever, and could just kind of visually give people a little 10 or 15 minute snippet. Is that a way to just expose people to it? I don't know. Uh, this podcast will probably do it. It'll probably just take off. I'm sure. So actually what you say, John, we've already done. Ate is a big proponent of what we're trying to do. And it was the last season that we played, uh, the league played indoors at the Odium 
we had a, we played a 20 minute demonstration game at the Odeon. We had our group come out there as one team. And then Ante put together a, a group of NSL people to play on the other side. And so, and, and as a matter of fact, the demonstration game is one of the methods that the Seattle folks used to increase their participant level. John, any closing questions or thoughts? Plenty, but not, not for uh, the next few minutes. I think it's, it's really neat to, to hear, George, your expansive history and so many different things of soccer. And even uh, it's cool to hear you're sort of championing a whole new level of soccer. It's actually... If there's only 135 people in Seattle, that means there's only 500 people in the country doing it. That's pretty pioneering. So um, if there's anything, speaking of Nick's marketing skills, if there's anything that we can do for you to help promote or or any sort of exposure or things that we can share, you know, please reach out. I think it's, as I also start picking up summers, it's definitely things that I'm thinking about is finding ways to continue to be active and uh COVID and, and some injuries, I've been on the couch too long myself. So I think it's a great thing and I, I hope it continues to grow. Yeah, we, uh, we we experienced a significant increase this past summer. Uh, I, I was interviewed for a story in the Washington Post about walking soccer. And the it, it was kind of interesting to see how many people were were turned on or, or curious about how to, how walking soccer works after seeing that. You know, we, we've done a lot of outreach to people to try to get them to come out. But when they read that story and they, 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 the story was not just about the soccer part, but it was about people's mental health, their emotional well-being, an opportunity not to, for, for people who are, who you know older and maybe they're, they don't have the same family and, and friend connections that they once did, this gets them away from a scenario where they're just staring at a wall all day long. And so I think that kind of, that, that, that aspect of it seemed to, uh, I think spur more people to be interested in that. We got, we've, we've added, uh, we, we probably increased our regular roster of walking soccer players by about a third after that story came out. And we've got a bunch of people who have asked me, well, is there a game in Evanston? Is there a game in Glenview? Is there a game in the city? And so now our job is to try to figure out whether we can set up games in those locations. Because, you know, Oak Brook is great for, for some people, but other people, it's, well, it's just too far or it's this or that. And so, you know, we, we want to get that word out to and, and try to help whoever can can come out and, and, and play to set up a game. I, you know, it's funny, too. Like, I keep thinking, you know, we have we have our youth academy now, and we have a lot of very passionate, excited soccer parents who never played and not that I'm sure with you guys as former actual players, the skill level is actually there, but I right. just think about people like Nick who aren't any good, but it's still just, well, you admitted it. You were terrible, but I think it would be interesting just to have a bunch of people. Just it's like going out for a walk with purpose. So if you're, right. if our Academy kids are training and all the parents are sitting there in their car on their phone, we should get a couple puck goals out and play 4v4 walking soccer. I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to think of ways you just start introducing the concept where you don't have to have skill. You just literally have to be able to walk. And and we're just going to go have fun. And then, you, and then you can see how hard it is for the kids that are still learning the game. And it kind of, like, gives a mutual respect to uh, to the sport. And uh, I love all the mental health stuff you talk about. That's, that's my favorite thing about 
the sport is the um, the way it just sort of fills a void for people in a lot of ways. Right. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Dick, didn't mean to pick No, screw you. That's why I'm going to close it down now because my feelings are hurt. George, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I can see that John's engaged with this in a way that I was hoping he would. I think that I genuinely think there's something that we can do that's mutually beneficial. I hope there is. I hope that the thing, the thought process catch up, catches on across the country. There's no reason it shouldn't. It's just, you know, it just requires a group of friends, really, doesn't it? There's nothing more than that. Um, if people have been engaged with this, how can they get hold of you for, you know, more information on Walking Soccer? Well, if you go to Facebook and you type in Walking Soccer Chicago, you'll find all the information about how to contact us, where our games are played, a link to uh, to sign up to, to play. That, that's probably the best way to do it. All right, sweet. And like that will go through, like because we, we, we have listeners, he says grandiosely, in Indiana and, you know, Tampa and all these other places who are going to come and play Chicago, but they can cut, they can reach out and get some information from you guys. Absolutely. Well. They can reach out. I'll give them all the info that they, that they might want. You know, I can send videos of our games and they can see what, you know, how, how we play and, and how it all looks. And if they want to give it a try, I'll be happy to, to assist them to, to make sure that happens. Excellent. I'm super excited for the pro for the possibilities of it, as I'm sure you guys are. Um, again, George, thank you so much for your time. John, thank you as ever. It's been a pleasure seeing your face for the 15th time today. I'll catch you on the other side, gents, okay? Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Take care, guys.